0: Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. We're back with yet another MEP interview and we are very excited because we've hit the top of the tree. We are With us today is the leader of the Lib Dem group in uh, in Brussels and that is Caroline Voden. How are you doing Caroline?
1: Hello I'm fine thank you. A bit exhausted after a um, a, a busy week in Strasbourg but uh, it's good to finally be able
0: to talk to you and it will I mean this week obviously is the final week of our MEPs being there so has this week been not only saying goodbyes but packing up as well
1: well we did have to pack up our offices but to be honest we didn't have much in those offices because obviously we're only in Strasbourg four days a month and I think most of us have been quite careful not to yeah. not to take too much stuff to Strasbourg, you know, so our, we had minimal amounts of stuff in our offices. But yeah, it was quite sad at the end yesterday when we left that the desks were cleared and we left the keys on the table and, um, you know, our offices are all together on the same corridor. So it did feel rather sad and empty as we all, as we all said goodbye. It's been a really difficult week. I mean, you know, the work goes on and obviously the work for our colleagues is only just beginning to ramp up because yeah. the commission has just got going. So to leave as things are really feeling like they're beginning to take off is, is extremely hard. And um, I had my la- an environment committee meeting. It wouldn't won't be quite my last committee meeting, but but they were talking about the environment committee's response to the withdrawal agreement, and I had to sort of offer my opinion on that. And um, numerous interviews. I have to say, not with the British media, who have no. been remarkably uninterested in what's been going on, but the French media. You know, over and over and over again, asking. How does it feel to be a British MEP this week? So it's been it's been quite tough.
0: And part of the reason I think this whole uh, this Big Ben bong on Brexit nonsense is partly I think a strategy of just keeping the attention away from all the the kind of the sadness there is in Europe about us leaving and about how the trade negotiations are starting to to look like they're going to go. It's 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 classic kind of Dominic Cummings, focus on something stupid and you'll ignore the stuff that's important.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right. And, and you know, maybe they timed that perfectly so that that would be the story of the week. And, you know, I, I was asked to to, to go on um, LBC with Eddie Mayer yesterday. And in the end, um, it it just didn't happen because I was sort of travelling on, you know, a train and a plane and I was in an airport and <laughs> it didn't work. But, but they wanted to, me to talk about the Big Ben thing, and I thought, actually we've just left Strasbourg, you know, we're not going to sit in that parliament anymore, and we did some really important votes this week in the parliament, that's what we should be talking about, not bloody Big Ben, (laughs) it's ridiculous.
0: And actually, let's try and get a bit of positivity, because I I loved your post on your Facebook page actually talking about the two votes in the European Parliament from a a couple of days ago, about the European Green Deal, and also the resolution. To um, help protect the the rights of the citizens in the twenty seven. So I yeah. mean that that was that's actually and I, I love the fact you put that on and I love the fact you were trying to be positive. So do you want to talk a little bit about those two those two votes?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the Green Deal was um, has it's been sort of bubbling away for a while and and lots of um, negotiations. So part of that was done on the Environment Committee and then they had a different set of people who were just focused on the Green Deal um so so the way it works is you have um two or three MPs from each political group so you know the socialist and democratic group which is the labor group and and the EPP and Renew and the Greens and 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 they all kind of draw up each group draws up its own wish list for what it wants to see in this piece of legislation and then they all get together and try and reach compromises and and obviously it, it it's difficult i mean the guy who was working on it for our group is is a fantastic Swedish MEP called Frederick Federley. And he said he stopped at sort of half past two in the morning and and went home and and the sort of negotiators, the civil servant type people kept going till sort of four in the morning and then they were back at seven and then it went on. You know, so this week it's been, they've literally been working through the night to get it to to reach an agreement. And, And, you know, this is what is, that's what I love about the European Parliament is yeah. you have people from right across the spectrum who really don't agree, especially on something like environmental legislation because um, you always have the Greens wanting to go as far as they can go but in the end a compromise is reached and so we have this huge voting list on Wednesday which there must have been, I didn't count them, but there must have been several hundred votes and so each of those votes is, is on amendments to the text so you have the text and then the Greens will put in an amendment and then the ECR, which is the sort of right wing conservatives will put in an amendment and then will put in an amendment. And then you have the crazies. So, so you know, you far <laughs> left or, or the far right. They'll put in mad amendments, which always fall because they don't, never get a majority in the House. You know, so, so, but the way, you know, it's very democratic. You go through it all and you all vote on each other's amendments and, and, and the sort of moderate amendments will pass and, and the crazy amendments won't. But everyone at least feels that they've had their chance to change the text. Um and it felt really good to pass it because what the sorry i'm going on at length, but, no, but what the green excellent. deal
0: really
1: what what the green deal will mean is that um you know they are trying to the the idea is that they will mainstream in the environment in all legislation, so it's not just going to be environmental legislation which is subject to this you know this hopefully will have a bearing on legislation on transport and on trade and on you know Anything that, that, that could possibly have an environmental element to it. So, you know, anything to do with products. But, you know, the circular economy is something they keep talking about. So making everything recyclable or, you know, reducing waste. And um, obviously transport is a big one, so it'll affect everything. Every time they talk about um, the emissions trading system, or, um, I mean, that obviously is environmental, um, mm-hmm. But you, you get my drift. That, yeah, that, that this will have a sort of overarching bearing on all legislation that goes through the European Union from here on in, and, and, and I think that's really ambitious. And you know, no national parliament is, has done that yet, as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware. So.
0: Or, has, or has the power that the EU does to ha- make such a dramatic change across a whole continent?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so even down to little things like the phone charger thing that's been they've been pushing this week. I think they've got it down to two phone chargers, two or maybe three phone chargers now. And the goal is that eventually there will only be one phone charger. So you know, if you do change your mobile phone, you don't need you, you don't do need it. to throw away all the gubbins that goes with it and start again. Um, I mean, little things like that sound trivial, but you know, when you multiply it across every single person in the world who has a mobile phone, that is quite
0: yeah. an
1: amazing piece of legislation that. Right. Um, certainly for the, for the European consumers.
0: And I see from your, your other posts that the, the EU has been quite critical of how uh, Boris Johnson and the Tory government has acted in terms of, now the, of EU citizens.
1: Yeah. So the main criticisms are that the settled status scheme, which you know, the government has put in place, and, and you know, to, to be fair, lots of people have applied, but they're saying it's too complicated and it requires approval. And what they want is for European citizens, EU27 citizens in the UK, to be able to just, for it to be a declaratory process, which means that they just need to declare that, you know, they are Europeans and they live here, they're working, they're paying their tax, whatever their situation is, and and they should be allowed to remain. Um, And that they shouldn't have to fill in an 85-page form and provide every tax return they've ever done and, you know, all the ridiculous nonsense we've heard. Um, But the other thing that they're seriously concerned about is that people who have been granted settled status and people who are applying now are not given a proper document. So I think they receive a PDF by email saying that they've got this status. But, yeah. you know, that's it's not, not good, good enough. Good
0: enough. It? No, it's not good enough.
1: It's not good enough. It could It's forgeable. Um, you know, these people are worried that they will leave the UK for a holiday and come back and it won't be recognised. It won't be seen as genuine. Um, You know, they basically need something in their passport, which is a stamp in their passport, which says, yes, this person lives here and can stay here um, and is welcome here. And I, you know, the thing that I I find most frustrating about this discussion is that actually none of this should ever have have been an issue. I mean, Mm -hmm. does it really make any difference to the Brexit debate, you know, if, of course, it makes a massive difference to these people. Yeah. But if the Conservatives had said on day one, yes, of course, you can stay.
0: Yeah. You know, we
1: it, want to do Brexit, but it doesn't affect you because you live here and, and you're welcome here. So let's move on. You know, it wouldn't have made a jot of difference people. to
0: their voters at all, would it?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. These people don't even have the vote. Yeah. They can't even vote against the government because they don't have a vote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's ludicrous and so much... Ang- anguish and yeah. energy has been spent trying to resolve this and it seems to me such a trivial issue for the government to
0: to dig the heels in, thought out yeah. but,
1: you know they could just say tomorrow right okay yeah let's put a stamp in the passport and, and, and you know yeah so it's uh, it's just
0: it it's it, it, it's everything about it's just a shame isn't it it's just it, you just feel like and i hear from lots of lib dem members that it's think when you hear stuff like that it's very deflating it's like what are we doing to ourselves and, and yeah but but it also highlights is why even though you guys are packing up your offices and heading home there's still a fight to be done right here in the uk and then we we have people that do need to be protected and it alone and whatever happens with the labor party we have got to be the proud pro european party that we've always been
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and it is shaming i mean you know it's embarrassing and and you just find yourself thinking how how have we got to this place where these things have become such an issue and and it it doesn't need to be and it's quite it's just sort of inhumane really isn't it to put i mean I've got friends here who um are e u nationals who have i can i can tell it's really beginning to take a toll on their health just the the whole the stress of the whole situation and you know people who've really contributed and who've worked and who've been part of our communities um you know some of them for decades
0: yeah yeah well, let's. It was remiss of me, actually. I do apologise because I introduced you, but I didn't give you, like I've done all our other guests, uh, the option that all our listeners should be able to follow you on on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I take it you are going to continue with all those things um, once life as an MEP has uh, has come to an end.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I might be tweeting a little bit less than I than <laughs> I do at the mo- <laughs> at the moment. If not, at least because I actually have somebody who helps me with it. I'm yeah. not sure I should admit that, but I've got this fantastic...
0: Yeah. I think we're all Charles. aware of staff. That's, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah.
1: so I have staff. And Charlie Murphy um, is great. So he was in the Young Lib Dems. I think he was the um, chair of the Young Lib Dems for a while. He came over to do an internship with me, and he's been doing my Instagram. And um, I, I, apparently the children of, of a couple of my colleagues have said... Why isn't your Instagram as good as Caroline's? Um, um. <laughs> of course, they know. They all know about Instagram <laughs> and what it's supposed to be like. But that's because I have a young person do my Instagram. When I'm responsible for it myself, I can't. Okay. I can't it's, promise it'll it, be as it's good. It's so much nicer.
0: <laughs> it's such a much. Uh, it's so much a nicer space than uh, than Twitter, Instagram. But uh, eventually, though, no doubt there'll be some idiots on there eventually. But but what, I also want to go back, right back, because you said, how did we get to this place? Now, that's it, because obviously you're the M- MEP for the southwestern Gibraltar. But you, hmm. came, you came to the party quite late. So you, you came, I understand you joined after the Brexit referendum in 2016. Is that correct?
1: I joined the morning after, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. So that, I mean, other than the meteoric rise through the party that you've achieved, I mean, <laughs> what, what's, in, what's in, so was it always like, I'm going to join this party, I'm going to get elected and do something? Was that always your plan?
1: I never planned to get elected. I mean, certainly not when I joined. I think, I think what happened was I. So, full disclosure here: my my parents are. Um, well, my mother um, is no longer with us, but 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 my parents were very involved with the Lib Dems, and my dad stood for Parliament three times when I was a teenager, and and early twenties. Uh, so he stood in Edinburgh for what was the Social Democratic Party, and then yeah. he stood for the Lib Dems. Um, so, you know, I kind of grew up with my. Dining room being used as a committee room and having odd, li- <laughs> odd lit them people in my house all the time, you know, folding leaflets and so you know, it's it's kind of
0: you've been I, brought I, up with it, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: there's a photo of me in my pram with a sash on saying "Vote Smith," my dad was a councillor <laughs> for the Labour Party, so so politics was never foreign to me, and I didn't get involved in the campaign for for the referendum because. Well, for two reasons, really. One, I was running a business and was basically working seven days a week and totally exhausted. But the other was that I live in a very, very remain bubble. And um, I suppose because I was just sort of heads down trying to keep my business afloat, I, I wasn't really aware of how it was going outside the bubble. I kind of just thought it would be okay
0: yeah yeah
1: my dad was out there you know he's nearly 80 he was out there every single day he was on street stalls he was delivering leaflets he was knocking on doors
0: and i think that's why it came as a shock to so many people yeah like like, what what just happened that was Yeah. yeah
1: so so i so i watched i stayed up all night watched the results and um and i just i i just had this overwhelming feeling that I've I you know everyone uses this expression but you know shouting at the television doesn't work and no. and I I knew that I had a whole host of skills that I had sort of collected over my eclectic career um which would be really useful and 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 I knew I could do things to make a difference and and I wanted to get involved because I thought uh, I I can offer the party something and I should and and I need to do this because you know this is wrong um and so I, I sort of got involved with the local party very quickly and um, got co-opted onto the committee about five minutes after joining because my dad <laughs> was the chair of the local party. So That's um, a he was like, right, story great, finally, we've way. got you, you know, let's make use of you. Um, and, and then, um, you know, and then it's the usual thing. They needed a paper candidate for council, so I did that. And then there was a snap general election and I, I was a sort of paper candidate in a very, very, very unwinnable seat for that. But. That was great fun. I actually, I really, really enjoyed it, and I, you know, enjoyed doing the hostings and everything. Obviously, that was mm. the first time I'd really done any of that stuff, and it was a really good training ground. And I would say to anyone listening, if you're interested in, in doing it, then, you know, don't turn down the opportunity to, 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 to stand in an unwinnable seat yeah. because. You know, the, the joy of it is is that nobody's watching what you do because nobody cares. Cause,
0: n- no, you know, and the, I, I've been in unwinnable seats, you know, for the last four elections, and all of them I've thoroughly enjoyed myself because, I mean, this time it was even more interesting because I was taking on the Secretary of State for Defence, uh, Ben Wallace, <laughs> in, the, in the safest Tory seat in Lancashire. So, right. and, be, and because we had no local elections with it, I just said, well, I'm gonna have fun with this. I'm gonna just yeah. go. I have got nothing to lose here, so I might as well just go enjoy the experience and, you know, and give Ben as good a run around as we as I could, really.
1: Absolutely, and it's a brilliant way to, to a find out whether you enjoy it, and b find out whether you're any really good at it, yeah. and and c you know sort of be able to have something at the end of it to say to the party you know look I've done this and and you know I was told you can do as much or as little as you like because you know the seat I was standing in was so far down the list that you know I yeah. retained my deposit and I I got kudos off for that that's how low <laughs> down it was but um I yeah I found it a really good experience and uh, and 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 realized that I was quite good at it and that I really enjoyed it and then um, obviously the Euro elections came around unexpectedly and I have lived and worked abroad, I speak lots of languages, um, so suddenly it just seemed like a really good fit. And yeah. I...
0: So uh, I'm trying to compare you because we, we've had an interview with uh, one of your colleagues Anthony Hook, who yeah. very much kind of had the an MEP kind of position in his mind, started going to lots of local parties, going to dinners getting himself well known did you yeah i mean we've had chats about with people like lisa smart about being target candidates is that something you started to do as well or did it all just kind of fall into place for you really
1: well to be quite honest i would never thought about it because i wasn't ever expecting us to have another european election yeah. obviously having joined after the referendum you yeah, know it wasn't yeah. on my radar um and yeah, I mean, it, it, I almost feel like a fraud because I know that people like Anthony have spent so long, you know, aiming to get to that place. Um, but I think, well, I mean, politics—a lot of politics—is being in the right place at the right time. Isn't it, let's be honest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Think of all these. And none t- of
1: us can predict. You know, well, we can predict there's not going to be an election for a while. But, but you can't predict. You know, which seats are going to. Be more winnable or less winnable what your opposition is going to be like you know if if, a, if an MP is going to die and suddenly mm. you have the opportunity of your life to stand in a fantastic by-election you know all of these things are completely sort of unpredictable so and,
0: and especially now I mean politics is absolutely upside down and back to front at the moment with yeah. Tories winning in places like Bishop Auckland and all the rest of it or, or even go back to 2017 when Labour took Canterbury you know yeah. these kind of Seats that have been one colour for a very long time. There are still too many safe seats, though. We should and changing the voting system is key to getting rid of these safe seats. But absolutely. politics has never been more fluid. So if you do have ambitions or you do want to do something, then you should absolutely. There's no limit to what you might be able to do.
1: No, and I, I honestly believe, and I'm not just saying this because this is sort of my situation, but I honestly believe it's it's good to have people coming in. Who, who are fresh and who have not necessarily been Lib Dems since they were 15 years old yeah. and who have, a, you know, a, an objective view on it all. And and actually, you know, what I have learnt being an MEP, and I'm sure it's very similar being an MP, is that the skills you need for that job are not necessarily the skills you gain sitting in local party committee meetings. No. No. You know, it's, it's about being able to communicate. It's about being able to, you know, find out information and, and you know, reach compromise and, and, and have debates and all of that. But th- there's so many skills involved that, that, that aren't necessarily party political skills. That's obviously a part of the job, but it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it, it, it's not the whole part of the job. And a, and,
0: and, I actually, think- and actually, that goes right down to local elections as well. I mean, you can have a, a very good local base without ever really getting party political obviously there's a broad set of principles you stand for you know but actually most of the time when you campaign in a local level very rarely does party politics come in. it's more about who's actually there doing the work that residents need doing
1: yeah absolutely and it's about campaigning on issues that people care about and and so you know you don't need even need to wear a party hat to do that mm-hmm.
0: so you talked about people coming into the Lib Dems, and and like and we've talked about you when you joined the day after the Brexit referendum. Mm. Now, do you think there's a slight risk, because Brexit is now going to happen, even though it, it will take a long time for the process to go through, that, there's, that people who were energised on the Remain side may start drifting away from campaigning and being involved? Do you think the Lib Dems and maybe the Labour and the Green parties have to worry about not losing that energy? Or do you think it's going to intensify? Do you think, you know, what happened in Scotland after they lost the, the independence referendum, suddenly a lot more people got energised into getting involved with the SNP?
1: Yeah, I, I well, who knows what's going to happen is the short answer, but I think... Um, I'm not really sure where the pro-Europe campaign goes from here because I personally... So this is very much my opinion. I I personally don't think there's much to be gained at the moment from from pushing the the, the pro EU thing. I think Well, for rejoin um, straight away. For rejoin, mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think, agree, I agree. I think this this there's this there's a need to accept the reality. Um the job in hand is is to hold Boris to account for the next 12 months and, and watch these negotiations like a hawk and call him out for everything he fails to deliver, um, which I'm sure we will do and Labour will do and the Greens will do. Um, I think there is absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind, certainly on the other side of the channel, that that we have built an incredible pro-EU movement in the UK mm. and... You know they've seen it, um, and yeah. and they've seen it over and over and over again. And you know they, we, everyone knows that those people are not going to go away. They're not going to suddenly stop supporting the EU but i wonder where they,
0: where they direct their energies that's what i'm curious about do they suddenly start getting involved on constituency level stuff or on national on national politics stuff other than the EU i i'm i'm interested to where what happens so what i would like
1: to see and i don't think it'll happen sadly but i, I would like all those millions of people to to, to rise up and and, and insist, campaign, you know, mm. for electoral reform, because yeah. I actually don't think that anything is going to change in this country until we have electoral reform. Mm-hmm. And it's either it's either a wholesale reform of the system so that we fight the next election on PR, which I, you know I think we can all agree is probably not going to happen, mm. or the left has to do some serious talking, because you know Einstein had that phrase, didn't he? You know, it's it's the sign of madness is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result, yeah, and. So in I live in Totnes, I was the PPC for Totnes and then Sarah Wollaston left the Conservative Party and eventually joined us and became the candidate here and she, she spent this election fighting Labour. Mm. It was appalling yeah, yeah. because Labour couldn't accept that we had an ex-Tory as our candidate. I mean obviously we were always going to get flack for that but the fact was that what we were really trying to do here was to prevent a, a clone of Boris a blow-in from London who didn't even live here taking this this seat. And, and that is exactly what happened because the left just fought all the way.
0: Yeah, um, and the, the cynicism of Labour, I mean, we talk about Chuck Ramuna and Luciana Berger, how they deliberately targeted those areas. But I, I was up in Hazel Grove on Poland Day and Labour uh, campaigners were out in Hazel Grove. You know, yeah. you, you were never, we only needed a few thousand votes to win it. Yeah. And they I were am. out trying to stop us from winning a seat that they had no chance of winning. And I it, find
1: it absolutely soul-destroying. And,
0: and, I and yeah, it does. And the, but the, the problem I have is that I don't know how we can get electoral reform change without Labour being on board. How? No, we can't. And, 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 again, maybe I'm just cynical because I've been up against Labour in a Labour city for a long time, is that I think if Labour get a, a sniff of power... I don't think they'll do it. No, I, I think you're probably right. So how then do we then do it? I don't, to, and it's so for saying, because the curse of safe seats, where MPs can be dismissive of the local electorate as long as they keep their party masters happy, is mm. an absolute disgrace. Oh, on totally, our and yeah. it, it leads I, to it leads to poor MPs and poor constituencies.
1: Yeah, yeah I totally agree with you, and. Let's face it; it leads to a massive feeling of disenfranchisement, which is what led to the referen- Which is what led to the yeah. Leave result in the referendum, because people felt their voices weren't being heard. And so, I, I think there's work to be done on trying to get people in all uh, sectors of society to understand what electoral reform is. I mean, that's a difficult conversation. It's a very nerdy topic. It's a very typically Lib Dem topic. Um, people you know, a lot of people just don't care about it because they don't really understand what it means. Mm. And I think it's a massive job of work to to try and make that a public, you know, make it a a nationwide conversation. And of course, we've not got the media on our side. So um, I think, I I personally think we have to sit tight and wait to see who's elected leader of the Labour Party because like it or not, our fortunes are very linked to the Labour Party. I mean, you know, any campaigner in the December election will say that, you know, they knocked on doors and people would say they wouldn't vote, they couldn't vote for us because they didn't want Corbyn in Number Ten. Yeah, which, you know, it doesn't make any sense, but we have to face that reality that when when there's a thoroughly electable, moderate-ish looking Labour leader, we uh, we will do better.
0: And we did our we did best under Blair. Because yeah. in, in those, because moderate Tories could vote Lib Dem without the fear of some raving socialists yeah. being in Parliament that terrified, and it just came up time and time and time again. And in the end, it it went so badly for Labour that not only could Lib Dems not convince moderate Tories to vote Lib Dem, Labour couldn't vote couldn't get their own heartlands to vote Labour because the it it was just such so, he was such a disastrous um issue on the door and it it it, it was and it was really difficult to try and convert people like say in hazel grove or these other ones to vote lib dem when the Tories thinking i'm not letting that man in charge of this country
1: absolutely absolutely so i think um you know there are two scenarios right if they elect keir starmer then i think we we start talking i think starmer is a is a intelligent sensible person um you know, he looks like he could be a prime minister. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's highly electable. He will, you know, he'll do a good job of holding Boris to account. And I think, I, I don't know, I don't know anything about Peter Starmer sort Starmer of personally, but I would like to think that he'd be able to sit down with the Lib Dems and 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 sort of try and reach some kind of accommodation so that we're not at war with each other. Yeah. Because actually, it's in it's in the interests of of everyone who is not a Tory now that that happens. If they decide to elect Rebecca Long Bailey oh.
0: then oh. Yeah.
1: I would hope that, that we might be able to look at some kind of realignment on the left. Um I I would hope that, that there will be, you know, a swathe of of moderate Labour MPs who might just say this is this is not the way forward, you know, and Labour will never be in power with you know, if we go down if we continue on the Corbyn route. Mm. Um, I mean, what not, that means and what that looks like, I don't know. But I think, you know, the Greens are, are also desperate, you know, to have nearly a million people voting Green and only one MP. So I think, I, I think there needs to be some really grown-up conversations on the left. And, and I have to say that I think, you know, okay, so I'm speaking to someone who's only been a Lib Dem for three and a half years. But from what I've seen so far, I would say there are many people in the Lib Dems who are absolutely as tribal as the mm-hmm. Labour Party and people who are as determined not to talk to the Labour Party as vice versa. And I think that's a real shame because I think, you know, it's not always just about beating the Tories. But I think the point, the place we're at now, it absolutely is. Because if we don't talk to each other on the left, we're talking at least 10 years, if not 15, with the Tories in power. And... You know, I think that's a bit of a shame, really,
0: it's it, 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 an it ca- understatement. Yeah, because again, from my point of view, I'm obviously an opposition councillor uh, to a Labour-controlled area. Well, mm. it's a bit mixed, because on a county level, I'm against the Tories, and on a, a city level, I'm against Labour. And it's very much the problem... It depends on which Labour party turns up which is the problem. So you get the moderate Labour that you can work with. Well, there's so much that unites us when I have mm. talk to these people. You could, eat, you could work with them on just about any topic going but then you get the tribal anyone else but labour is evil kind of guys and you try and put your hand out to try and work together and they slap it away and Mm. it it can it can be very difficult particularly in in northern seats like like mine that actually it can can definitely wear you down and give you a a level of cynicism about will labour ever come right oh absolutely and
1: we have you know, a very momentum led local Labour Party here, which has changed radically in the last few years. And, and lots of my friends have left the Labour Party here because they've been so sort of, you know, they, they, they hate it. And I reached out, took a really, really, really deep breath after the election and reached out to a couple of people I know and said, shall we just have a cuppa? Shall yeah. we just get together and have a cuppa? And, and one of them said, it, it's too complicated. Yeah, He couldn't even have a cup of tea with me because he said it was too complicated. And I just thought, we live in a small town and, you know, yeah. we're all devastated by what's happened. Let's just start at the point that we have in common. You know, let's just start with the fact that we are both feeling absolutely devastated by the result of this election. And, and let's just go from there, rather than starting at the point of, you know, you hate the Lib Dems and we hate Labour, which of course isn't true, but yeah. do you know what I mean? It's,
0: yeah, and it all depends if they accept what's going because again, very interestingly, just last night, the Preston Labour Party has backed Rebecca Long-Bailey to and, right. and Angela Rayner, they, that's what their PLP has come out for, because they don't accept why they lost the election. No. They just think, oh, it, you know, Brexit threw it all off, once Brexit's out of the way, no problem. And again, I'm, <laughs> I, and, and I'm really conflicted about this because if Labour go for Rebecca Longbally, um there's two things that will happen. Either it will be such a disaster that they'll split and there's a real possibility of some sort of realignment of moderates. Mm. Or the, we just we throw away any chance of Conservatives getting beaten in, in five years and maybe ten years and we're looking at over 20 years of Conservative rule one way or another, which mm. is just terrifying because whatever whichever party you support and whatever part in the country whether that's at local level national level power has to have an opposition otherwise otherwise evil things happen
1: yeah and that's what we've seen isn't it you know ever since the referendum that's what we've seen there has been no opposition to this and i you know, okay, so we we could go right back to two thousand and fifteen and say if Corbyn had campaigned properly against Brexit in the first place, Leave probably wouldn't have won. But then, even if we'd had the result we had, if Labour had stood up and and faced the challenge, you know, after the referendum and 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 been a proper opposition party, then you know we might have got to the point where we'd have ended up with a second referendum, or there would have been more of a groundswell of public opinion. So one of the things that's always really driven me mad about Labour is that. You know, If you take Jess Phillips, for example, she, she's, she represents quite a leave voting seat, mm. but she has always stood up and said, this is not right for you and this will not be good for you. And as your representative, I cannot support it because I know the damage
0: it's going to cause.
1: Yeah. She's just been elected with an increased majority in a leave mm. voting seat.
0: Whereas the not... Caroline Flint's, who tried to sit on the fence, do this whole yeah. kind of, or and actually got absolutely wiped away. Yeah. And so that that was Labour's. Well, they did, they pleased nobody, and so actually the MPs that were saying, look, I understand how you may have voted, but my job is to look after you and is yes. to do what's in your best interest. Yes, exactly. Was... Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Go. Sorry.
1: And showing some leadership. So. You know, whenever I have this argument with Labour people, I, I say, you know, those they say, oh, but you don't understand because, you know, you you don't you're not in lead voting seats. And I say, but it's up to your MPs you know, in the north of England to 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 show the leadership required of an MP and say to their communities, do exactly what Jeff Phillips has, has always done and said to the community. This is not going to to end well, and you need to believe me, and you need to trust me and and they could have taken them along with them, not you know not to say you were stupid for voting leave or you didn't know what you were voting for it 's not that at all to to stand up and say "I to-, you know I accept why you voted leave, and I know there's a problem, but you have to believe me when I say that this is not going to be this is not what this community needs
0: and, and, we, and, and the flip side of that is how disappointed I am with some of the moderate Conservatives, of which Ben Wallace, who I was up against, was a pro-European moderate Conservative who quite happily was boasting during the campaign that he voted for no deal and would do so again if necessary. Yeah. And, I'm thinking, and so, you know, the ideologues, you know, the, the Jacob Rees-Mogg's, the Mark Francois, they are of that opinion and they think they're in the right. But people like Ben Wallace, who I was up against knows it will hurt his constituents and did it anyway it's absolutely like, it, it, and they
1: were just saving their jobs weren't they yeah. i mean you know we have them all over devon and cornwall they're just brown nosing to to just keep in you know keep in a job and oh it's just it's just appalling and you know again it comes back to this thing doesn't it that you know you've got people in safe seats and and we don't have a proper democracy and they're not they're just not doing the job that they're elected to do and it's in it and it all became about MPs trying to work out what was going to be the best way to, to, to keep themselves in a job after after the election. And it's I don't know. I, I just find yeah. it quite depressing, really.
0: And it goes and it does. I mean, we are very geeky in terms of you know p- uh, proportional representation and wanting to change the electoral system. But it would ch- if. There was a decent election system and the Tories were at risk of losing vast swathes of the country because of their stance on, on this or any other issue. They probably wouldn't do it. They'd do what was in the best interest of the people they represent. And the classic example was when poll tax and all the issues, because back again up here, when, when the Liberals won the Ribble uh, Valley by-election... It terrified the Tories into ditching poll tax and eventually came up with council tax. And yeah. if there isn't that fear, there's no incentive to change.
1: No. no, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I think the Tory party are desperate for Rebecca Long Bailey to
0: get elected yes. as Labour leader because
1: you know Boris will make mincemeat out of her.
0: And she's already and- made she's already made a massive error by saying Corbyn was ten out of ten. That's 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 the Tories' next five years' worth of leaflets on Rebecca Long Bailey sorted. Yeah. You, you got she had one chance to set a store and she's already missed that mark straight away. Yeah. Um, so, but we, we, I mean, there's very little myself and you can do about the machinations of the Labour Party until they choose that leader. Like I, I am with you. I think Keir Starmer, even though he comes across as a little dull. Um, he, yeah. will, he will steady that ship and that's what Labour need more so than ever is actually making them not terrifying to the electorate.
1: Yeah they have to be electable and and they're not at the moment no. um, and, and you know I'm not sure even with Keir Starmer whether they can repair that damage in four years. Um, no,
0: it, yeah his, history says otherwise doesn't it? It's such a huge yeah, yeah, defeat. Yeah it's a long project. Yeah
1: but, um, but then, you know, we have to choose a leader and we're not in a good place and we've only got 11 MPs, so, you know, we're not exactly so going to find it easy ourselves. So. No,
0: but we I think we have to learn what happened in places like St Albans is, uh, and and how close we got in places like Wimbledon and Guildford is the fact that we built our local parties up again. Build them up, get, get, take the council, take the MP. I know it'll be slow and it's We're not going to suddenly win 200 seats from nowhere.
1: No, and... It's interesting, I've been thinking a lot about St. Albans and and how, you know, that was a third place seat and Daisy built it up mm-hmm. to the point where it was winnable and I think what she did was absolutely remarkable and I've been in training sessions with her where I've, you know, when I was a PPC for Totnes and I saw her at conference and I just thought, wow, that's what I need to do in Totnes, you know, she was just a force of nature. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I'm actually in the process of, of trying to write something on on how we work with our candidates. But there's so much work to do. I mean, I I think the party needs to be selecting candidates much, much, much earlier. Mm. Um, It needs to have a nationwide um, training, um, you know, system of training for for So, So the thing that always strikes me is I was selected as PPC in Totnes quite early they wanted a new candidate and they wanted to do it sort of soon after the 2017 election and after being selected i didn't even receive an email from the party (laughs) saying congratulations on your selection and welcome to the team um and that was it there was absolutely nothing no backup no training no support nothing offered no phone calls no um not even from the region and you know i'm not I don't want this to sound like a, a bitching session or, or I'm criticising anyone personally because I'm really not. And I mm. know that, you know, we, we're short of staff and, and resources have been very limited. But I think it's absolutely fundamental to rebuilding that if the, that we get the right people in the right places early you know, I'm not talking about straight away, but a good two years out from an election at least, and and that they are offered... All sorts of resources to to help them hit the ground running, and to, and so that they know what a PPC should be doing in yeah. in peacetime, because we all know what what's involved during an election. But I think actually we need. Elections, we aren't, need
0: won to, in, elections aren't won. in election time either. That they're, they're won not. by the work done beforehand, and that's that's something we always know. You know, canvas before Christmas is worth uh, is worth two after, and it's the same with elections. The sooner you start, yeah. you get that um, that that. That kind of headwind going your way, and then that's how you get success.
1: Absolutely, and and you know we need to have much more networking between PPCs so they can help and support each other and share resources and and share ideas. And so, you know, there's a huge amount of work to be done, and I'm I'm really hoping with a new president and a new chief exec and a a, a different leader now, an interim leader that that maybe these conversations can can actually go somewhere and. Um, you know, and maybe me and my colleagues who will all be will all have lots of time on our hands after January the thirty first. You know, maybe we can be part of that program because we've all got experience, and um, you know, there are lots of people around who 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 want to make this work and who are committed. And so I think, yeah, I think that I think there is there is, there is a job to do, regardless of what happens in the bigger picture with the Labour Party. I think as a party, we need to really look at the way you know, the way things happen, and I think too much is left to, to local parties, many of which, certainly in my area, I don't know so much about mm. yours, but, you know, many of which are 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 sort of overrun with, with much, much older people yeah. who yeah. Yeah. are not good with IT and who are still trying to do things the way they did things 20, 30 years ago. We're not bringing enough young people in. We don't have young activists Um you know, there's so many things we, we need to take a long, hard look at and find out why we're not engaging with younger people and, you know, what is it about Labour that... You know, Corbyn's mm. an old man, and yet he's got this massive following of, of young people behind him. And and actually, if you look at what the Labour Party are offering and what we're offering, in many ways, we have a better offer for, yeah. for young adults. Um,
0: I suppose the Corbyn model is, though, is whether i mean what what was shown by momentum and otherwise it, 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 it there was a mass of people but they weren't they were they weren't activists and i think that's where the lib dem struggle is how many people in your local party are actually activists on the door doing the stuff that wins elections yeah. and, and it, it and, and speaking from it, it it tends to be just a handful of committed few in a, in a local party yeah. and that and that's where I think. How do you get people who may be interested to take that next step to get involved and and because I mean, and this isn't just the Lib Dems. This is across all the major political parties. Is the, there's generally a lack of kind of good candidates, good activists across all of them. And and you look at the quality of some of the councils you come across, and you think, crikey, they're really. Scraping the barrel to put it in a in a, in a not so pleasant yeah, way, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely, so I think part of it is that people are just not active in politics anymore, full stop, and um I've got some friends in London who get involved every Christmas with this fantastic um Christmas dinner thing, so they go and um spend the whole of Christmas Eve in a in a in a massive hall um preparing boxes food box food parcels. And, you know, kids are there helping as well. So, you know, it's like a big production line and they put in all the different kinds of food and somebody writes a card and the card goes in the box and then there's, there are a couple of presents and, you know, it's all done really, really nicely. And then there's a whole load of other people who drive and, and they just drive and they take these boxes to, peop- to, to anybody in the community who's been suggested as, as, as you know, a worthy recipient of, of this sort of a charitable food hamper for Christmas. So it's a massive, massive project and it involves hundreds of people and and I would put money on most of those people having never been actively involved in a political party but these are people who are community spirited and who are excited by this project because it's it's real and it's fun and it's interactive and it's you know it, there are obvious positive results and and that's the kind of thing we need to be doing we need to be out in the community doing positive stuff which will draw people in People who would never think about walking around the streets and pushing leaflets through doors because that's not just what this is about. And, I, you know, we really have to I'm trying hard in my local area to to get our local Lib Dems to come up with some ideas for, um, you know, offering free school meals in the school holidays to kids who need them or having a tree planting sessions or. Um, you know, going into a school and and redecorating a classroom because the school's got no money to do it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And then you get people involved who think, oh, that sounds like a really worthwhile project. I'd like to get involved with that. You get to know them, you you make friends, you build a social network. And then when it comes to an election time, you can say, oh, I'm the person who's going to be standing. You know, would you like to help me get elected? And and suddenly it's not about politics anymore. It's about oh, this is a really good person who's been really active in the community, let's try and get them elected.
0: Sometimes the best ways of getting elected are non-political, or you know, non-overtly political. The fact that you're just doing community-minded things without having to throw a leaflet in their face every day. Completely, um, yeah. No, but that's in, I, I'm really interested, because obviously you, you have a lot of background in the charity sector as well um for that you were the chair of the national uh, way foundation yeah and you help you you help establish just giving which i didn't know until i was doing a little bit of research from it. <laughs> so and i think a lot of i think i i wonder how much political parties can learn from the charitable sector about engaging with people and getting them active and you know because it, 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 again it's a similar sort of thing you're relying on goodwill of people to do it i hmm. mean do you have any views on on that
1: well, I think you know the, the the charitable sector survives on people who are it's a cause driven thing, isn't it? And and most people get involved. Not everybody, but I would say a lot of people get involved with a charity because of personal experience. So, um, you know, it, it's it's not a great leap of imagination for people to think that I got involved with a national support group for young widows because I was widowed at thirty four, um, and. I ran the marathon to raise money for Macmillan Cancer Research because they had saved my sanity when my husband was dying of cancer. And, and that's how people get drawn in. You know, if they have a sick child, they might support the children's hospice and, and carry on doing that for many, many years afterwards. Um, so, so politics is the same, isn't it? There's a cause and, and people rally around that cause. But I think politics also comes across as people sitting in rooms talking. And you know we we talk about sending press releases out, you know, after a council meeting, and you know talking about decisions that have been made in a, in a council chamber. No, or
0: no one will care. No one will there.
1: People just don't care. It's no. not interesting. It's about what is actually happening to people's lives. And I think somehow or other we have to get the politics out of the committee room, and. And, and do something. I mean, we really struggle. So, so I live in quite a rural area and, and we have lots of little towns, but I mean, they're not that far apart, but certainly in the winter, the driving is difficult. You know, it's very dark and we've got, you know, country lanes. And um, so it's quite difficult to get pe- lots of people to come to a meeting in the evening, for example. Um, I think we need to really think outside the box. To, to how, how we get people involved and i think doing practical things in the community is, is a better way of sparking the interest of people and, and getting them to think oh i'd actually really like to join in that and i've got some free time they're more likely to do that than to go and sit around a table in a meeting room
0: mm-hmm. um no that's, that's, so, that's a, it's really interesting because like i say i i i'm a i do what i do with a because i'm a, a triple hatted counselor for all for all my sins, is that for you? Yeah, lucky. I thank you. <laughs> but what I do? So if I got, if I have however many committee meetings I have in that week, I offset that by making sure I'm out in the community doing canvassing as well. And I think because right. it's very easy to get yourself elected and forget the people that put you there in the first place, and just think, yes, I like being spoken to very nicely in a, in town halls and county halls, etc. But actually, the best thing. I find I can do is actually go out and knock on doors and see what's troubling people and try and help them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the old, the classic street survey, you know, you do your street mm-hmm. survey, you find out what the issue is and then try and do something about it. And we've got brilliant councillors all over the country who are doing that. Yeah. Um, and and you know that's that's absolutely what we should be doing but it's not just all about potholes and
0: no. um, cuz you don't recruit people on pot. I mean I I and just to echo completely what you said uh, I joined up because of Iraq and ID cards I, okay. didn't, I didn't join up because of I wanted to fix a pothole in the street <laughs> I, in the end I know I realize I'm quite weird and I really enjoy doing stuff like that sort of level of community activism now but the vast majority of people that isn't on their radar and and to no. be able to attract them we have to have a macro and a micro kind of um kind of option to them to get invested in
1: yeah 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 i mean i think it's a real uphill struggle and you know apart from sort of recent flurries i think generally speaking the membership of political parties is 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 falling and people are becoming more dissent disenchanted and and i don't think the recent events will you know in make anybody any more enamored with politicians Mm -hmm.
0: um and and i suppose the last point on this is actually just i mean it was announced yesterday that labor were expecting a glut of new kind of registered supporters for their leadership election and it hasn't happened Uh, interesting i haven't read that yeah because that was all because it was all i thought will will a lot of kind of the Blairite kind of moderate Labour now come back into the party to support yeah. the Keir Starmers and the Jess Phillips and stuff like that. And apparently it's been very, very poor. I, mean, I think it's like something like 14,000, which is minute compared to obviously the, the hundreds of thousands yeah. that joined in uh, for the Jeremy Corbyn kind of leadership contest. So, uh, so again, that's for, for another party, but actually... The, we, you've got to give them hope for something better, otherwise they're not they're not just going to automatically just come back and get active. You've got yeah. to, you've got we've got to be proactive as a party to give something to to build on. Um, but I wonder if I might take it just slightly away from politics for a second, because mm. it's because well, i I trained as a I did a trained as a journalist at, at university. Now you were a journalist for Reuters for nine years. Now, yeah, the election. What I, I, I've never known a time where journalists are attacked not physically but you know attacked for their kind of their integrity ever before than what we currently have and I get very very frustrated when people say you know and on both the conservative councillors and labour councillors locally say oh that's just fake news when actually it's not fake news it's just stuff you don't want to hear because it's maybe not putting you in the best light Mm. but it's a corrosive element of society if we don't believe the people journalists who are supposed to again, hold people to the powerful to account. Mm. So what are your impressions of the state of journalism at the moment in the UK?
1: God, I think it's absolutely woeful. Mm. I mean, there's so much to say on this. As I've already said, I've been interviewed constantly all week about what it feels to be leaving the European Union, but only by European media and You know, several of my colleagues have been interviewed by European media as well. And I've got an interview with Japan's biggest newspaper next week. And nobody from the British media has has rung up to ask any of us to talk about it. So I think think our journalism is poor. I think, uh, where to start? So the written press, it's obvious, you know, completely um, owned by millionaire right wing, you know, uh, business. People who have an agenda and are driving that agenda through their newspapers, and how how we ever try and counteract forty years of Daily Mail brainwashing, I don't know. I mean, you know, we could buy a newspaper, we could have a newspaper, but who would read it? You know, yeah. <laughs> just split their members, that's not going to help.
0: No, and and, so, I think, and I think just just on that point, just while you're on it, is that I always thought, even before 2016, that we would eventually leave the EU because I think. There had been such, uh, there'd been decades of yep. stories poisoning the British minds of what the EU was and what it does. Uh, that I, I couldn't see a point that if ever Britain had to ratify a treaty or whatever else, I couldn't see it staying in. I re I, because how again, how do you deflate newspapers that pump out this stuff on a daily basis? Yeah,
1: well, I, you just can't, I think. You know, when we had that Leveson inquiry, um, I, I, I think it should have been stronger. I think... I'm, I'm not... Freedom of speech is very important, and controlling the press is difficult. But I do think that that we don't have... That the, the sort of... Um,
0: accountability. What, the
1: accountability is is not there. And, and the... Um, punishment isn't the right word. Sorry, I'm really no, no, but, I, I, um, but But newspapers are not are really not held to account for, for publishing fake news. And they do publish mm. fake news. And, you know, this whole thing with the royals, yeah, I just it's think it's, it's
0: horrendous. You know, they
1: have driven yeah. Harry and Meghan out of this country. Yeah. And, of course, now they're really pissed off because one of their sources of, of, of tittle tattle has, has turned around and said, Sold you, I'm going. And they don't like that. I mean, you know, just witness Piers Morgan, how upset he was about it, because he's not going to be able to... You know, talk about many more. So, so I think that this, you know, the, the newspapers are poisonous, and but the reason they're poisonous is because they are allowed to get away with it, and they're allowed to get away with just printing lies. Um, so all the stuff that's come out about the EU for for years, some of which has actually just been completely made up. I mean, if you go on the Euro website, it's mm-hmm. astonishing the stuff they've made up, and they're never held to account. They're never made to pay. They're never made to apologise properly on their front page in you know huge bulls type you know we got this wrong we lied to you they never yeah. have to do that
0: yeah cuz the retraction's always on page 14 and it's about an inch even though the the, the... i've always yeah, had yeah, the, yeah, I've, yeah. I've always had the opinion wherever whatever the page and size of the original story the apology or attraction should be on the same page and the same Absolutely. size but Absolutely. it it would just seem like a fair way of countering and and sometimes and, and we've talked about stuff but sometimes they can destroy lives and careers and you know whether it's stuff like i mean you can talk about very serious stuff like you remember the mmr job scare yep. stories has led to now an increase in measles and everything else in this country there is zero accountability And I think that and right okay I understand some people saying Leveson some people saying it was like a sledgehammer to crack a nut but the fact is until they get some accountability they can print whatever they want knowing it will make a profit. And then not have to worry about the consequences. Absolutely,
1: It's shocking. Uh, but, you know, people buy it, and so so then you have to say, well, they only print it because people want to read it. <laughs> people like uh, gossip, so uh, uh, you know that's tricky. But I think if you if you look at the broadcast media, yeah, you know, I have pretty much stopped wa- watching BBC News, and I I watch Channel Four News. I think Channel Four is excellent, and and we need more of that. And I one of the things that that drove me insane over the last three years is listening to the Today program. When brexiteers came on and and were never pushed to to sort of justify what they were saying, or you know, never really held to account, never really probed. Um, they were allowed to get you know there were so many things they said which which weren't true which were kind of subtle and nuanced things that people, you know, your, your ordinary listener wouldn't realize it wasn't true. But the journalists must have known. And time after time after time after time, especially John Humphreys, you know, never really questioned and said, hold on, stop a minute. Actually, that's not true, is it? Um, you know, I was trained by Reuters, so the most objective news agency in the world. Um, if we ever wrote anything contentious, we had to have at least two sources to back it up or it, it wouldn't run. Um, you know, I would never have been able to get away with most of the stuff I see and read and hear on the British media day in, day out. And so I have a very low opinion of it. <laughs> um, but I think that's the way it should be. It it, make, it possibly makes for slightly more boring news. But actually, the, the news, especially the BBC, which we are paying for through the license fee, it has a duty to inform and it has a duty to inform objectively, and even if that goes against the government of the day, that is absolutely what they should be doing and and Channel Four is niche, and not many people watch it and you know I think that's a shame because I think the way they, the way they cover things is the way the BBC main news should be covering things and, and and they they can dumb it down a bit, they can use simpler language, but but they should be. Being
0: much, much, much more objective. No, I have a lot of affection for the BBC, um, and I, I understand everything you've taken. I, I have. I also stopped listening to um, to the to breakfast on um, uh, sorry to, to the Today programme on Today. Radio Four. But I, I'm a huge fan of Newsnight and think and, and shows like, yeah, again, I like Newsnight, yeah, but I again, like Newsnight, ve- yeah. very niche. Okay, not very many people listen to. It. But I think where the BBC gets itself into trouble it tries too hard to be balanced on things where it's not possible to be balanced. Yeah. So, and, and the classic one is something like climate change, where 99% of of scientists will say, actually, climate change is man-made and being accelerated by man. And they get the one... Bonkers kind of guy who disagrees with that, and gives him as much prominence as the ninety-nine people on the other yeah. side. And I think I think it,
1: they've stopped doing that with climate change now,
0: haven't they? they oh, well, you know, small steps then, Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> I think
1: uh, they have finally agreed they maybe don't need to balance out every climate change story with a climate
0: you It always used to be Lord Lamont, didn't it? And, or like, someone yeah. like that who always used to come <laughs> on and say, actually, no, this is rubbish. Um, yeah. but, but I think that's why the BBC gets itself in trouble. And and again, they're going to get hit because I, I think the Tories are going to... i are really seriously going to look at what they can do to weaken the influence of the BBC. And so I think, again, a bit like how the Labour Party will please no-one and end up getting hurt, I think the BBC might also get hurt, which will be a great shame because... If you look at the alternatives, I mean, you don't want to think about kind of a, a British version of Fox News, um, no. but that terrifies me. Of having not having a, a reliable public broadcaster in in the UK is something is a UK I don't really want to see. No,
1: I I totally agree, and I I think it's I think it's so fundamental. So you say, you know, you you said I worked for Reuters. I went to the Balkans during the war. I was never actually in Bosnia under the shelling. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Belgrade during the war doing a kind of editing function and then after the war I was sent to Croatia uh, for two years and worked there as the bureau chief in Zagreb. So I was very familiar with um, what happened in Yugoslavia and followed the story intimately and was probably one of the few people in Britain who actually understood what went on there because it was a three-sided war and it was like chess. But um, one of the things that caused the breakdown of that country was the media and the media had been, you know, had sort of fueled tensions between communities for many, many years. Um, And particularly the, the, the Croat and the Bosnian communities. So there were some really nasty sort of little side battles. You know, people spent a lot of attention, paid a lot of attention to what the Serbs were doing, but, but the, the, some of the battles between the Croats and the Bosnians were really, really nasty. And, and that a lot of that had been fueled by newspapers croat newspapers, particularly that had been you know really pumping out the propaganda and you know i'm not saying we're we're headed for civil war, but I have said a lot when i've been speaking over the last years sort or of on the MEP trail that I think the the divisions in in our society have certainly been fueled by the right wing media and um, so this party in in London on Friday night and the big Ben thing, you know, I think it's all part of a, of a, of a sort of, um, an attitude that actually we don't want to accommodate the 48%. We're not really interested in the 48%. we won, you know, we see it as a game. We triumphed, you know, we won and we don't, so, so therefore, we're going to celebrate, and 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 there isn't nearly enough attention paid to the fact that oh, but half the population didn't agree with us. So maybe we ought to try and accommodate them somehow.
0: And and, and two of the nations of the of the union are probably going to leave in the near future if 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 we continue. I, I, Northern Ireland, Scotland. And what could be more anti-British than wanting to see it break broke up?
1: Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and I think that division is, you know, it, it is there, and and we can't deny that it's there. It's been there since the referendum. But I I, I think that the press is fueling it and and not doing nearly enough to to try and, you know, well, it's not the press's job, is it, to try and bring the country together? But blimey, I, I you know, I
0: they don't I, have to I I,
1: yeah. I I worry, I worry. I think that the the narrative, you know, between Johnson and Cummings and the Daily Mail. I I I really don't see how the risks are going to be healed
0: very easily. No. No. Well, I, 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 we've talked about how you started, previous jobs. I mean, I forgot to ask what's next? What what, what what's next for for Caroline Voden? <laughs> I
1: have absolutely no idea. I mean, a year ago I had no idea I'd be doing this. So,
0: um
1: <laughs> I I think it's unlikely that 2020 will be as exciting as 2019. I think I have probably just completed what will be the best job of my life um I absolutely loved every minute of it I even I even loved the traveling I didn't think I would but I got used to 16 hours a week traveling um I it's just been the privilege of my life and you know I feel deeply deeply honored to have been voted in and and to have been able to do it and I'd just like to say because I know that listeners will be mainly Lib Dems if not all Lib Dems one of the most humbling things was going around the Southwest during the the sort of four or five weeks of the election and, and then afterwards and meeting people, actually more so afterwards, going around the Southwest and meeting people who had voted for me, having never met me and who had seen my um, manifesto, selected me to be top of the list and had then gone out and voted for me, you know, and having that faith in me and campaigned for me in the election. And it, it's really, really humbling. And. Yeah, so I just massive shout out to the Southwest for letting me do this because it's been amazing. Um, and I don't know what comes next. I'd, I'd, I'd like to be involved in politics, but we're not going to have an election for a long time. So um, I think I'll have to find something to pay the bills in the meantime. And I don't know what that's going to be.
0: Well, I always like to ask our, uh, our interviewees what they like to do in their spare time to try and switch off from politics. So, we've had skydiving and bowls <laughs> uh, or, or just reading a good book. So what, what do you do on your, on your hours off?
1: Well, as I say, I live in a rural area, so I do like to walk. Um, I my, probably my favourite thing is to take the dog to the beach, and, and I love the beach even in the winter when there's no one there, so I like to do that.
0: And we're not allowed to take our dogs on the beach in summer. That's, we're, we're, cause no. I, I, well, I, take, I take mine to live them and things like that. and uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: So. you have to make the most of it up till Easter when you're banned. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do that, and I, you know, I've got a couple of really good friends who are not political at all locally, and... I really enjoy that. I spend time with them and we talk about other stuff, which is a really good way to switch off. Um, and just the normal stuff, really. I love going to the cinema. I find the cinema a fantastic way of just completely switching off for everything else. And, you know, you haven't got your phone pinging in the background. And um, and I really would love to say that I love doing loads of exercise and I'm really sporty. <laughs> I know it's a great way to switch off, but I'm really bad at it and I keep thinking I must do more. So that's my resolution for when the job finishes is uh, i really need to try and get back into something running or yoga or something but
0: very good and i've got two two quick fire questions okay parallel universe caroline you are now prime minister you can yeah. with a huge majority
1: oh yes yeah. <laughs> <What, what, laughs> i like that
0: what policy do you bring in from tomorrow
1: Oh, my goodness. Oh, you could have warned me about this.
0: Yeah, see, I deliberately didn't warn you about this. Oh, and, God. And I could be even meaner and say you're not allowed to say some of the other ones which have come up saying housing, uh, electoral reform or stopping Brexit. Um, so, But I'll, I will allow you to repeat some of them if, def- if you desperately want to.
1: Well, I mean, the obvious one is I would immediately bring in PR um, because that would change destiny and the future of our country i i, I believe that that's the root of, of so much change that we need but if i'm not if i'm not allowed to do that um i quite like the radical idea of giving money to the homeless being radical i we don't have the housing stock to give them a flat but you know there are lots of experiments about you know people who are in poverty and just giving them a chunk of money so that they can sort themselves out and and get out of a of a treadmill and make some improvements in their lives. I suppose um, the
0: first thing you could do to help the homeless is actually you could um, repeal the vagrancy act that actually criminalises them for being homeless in the first place. That well, would be, that, that, yes. would be the, that would be one that would you be you very do good place to start. start. Um, but
1: I'd like to do something really you know something much more more radical. Um, to, to, to sort that problem out um, because it's just it's
0: just not right, is it? No, absolutely not. And on a lighter note to finish, when
1: uh, you know that when I put the phone down, I'm going to think for about five other things. Yeah,
0: that's be better. I expect you're just gonna there'll be a, just a pinging of text. Oh bugger I should have said this. Um, but the final one is we ask we've asked everyone we've interviewed. You're on a desert island. You can only have one meal. What would it be?
1: Oh lord, one meal.
0: Yes. um or you could be your favorite favorite restaurant or whatever. But you, if you could only have one meal, what would it be?
1: I'm I'm sitting here having had a long conversation with a friend just about two hours ago about going going veggie and going vegan, and I'm thinking, is it politically correct to say something meat based because everybody's doing Veganuary? So suddenly it's become really stressful answering this
0: question. I want you um. to be absolutely <laughs> okay with saying we've so far, and it's amazing we've interviewed three MEPs. Sheila is already. A vegetarian Anthony yeah. has gone vegetarian uh, for for, for, January. for January. yeah. And uh, and Lucy uh, said her favourite meal was like cheese and tomatoes, which is vegetarian anyway. We haven't had any meat at all on the favourite meals.
1: Tomatoes are probably my favourite food stuff, and the, and the thing I would miss most in the world if I um, if I had to give them up. So I'm going to say that uh, one of my favourite dishes is aubergines baked with uh, mozzarella and tomatoes. And crusty French bread on the side. Very
0: nice. It's, veg- it's vegetarian again.
1: <laughs> it's, I know it's vegetarian. It's vegetarian, and I'm a complete chocoholic. So for pudding, it would have to be one of those really nice chocolate puddings that's kind of melted in the middle and runny Ooh, in the middle, and
0: like a fondant kind of thing. Oh, very, yeah, very but good. Warm, very warm, you know, with yeah. a bit of
1: really good vanilla ice cream on the side.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's a winner. That is, uh, I think most of our audience will agree that is a good way to finish. Not just. Any meal, but any conversation as well. So, but no. Can I just thank you so much? I mean, you, you you've given up so much time to be on the podcast, and you know, of course, and well, I've got to ask: Is our MEP life going to continue, or is that now going to stop? Now, is, are the future episodes of your podcast? Ah,
1: uh, well, the podcast. So, Judith and I are going to do one more episode from Brussels um, as a kind of goodbye episode. Um, for, for the current period. Um, to be honest, I, I, I think the short answer is probably no, not in that format. We were very lucky in Brussels to have a proper radio studio to record it in with all the equipment, and it made it easy. Um, Judith lives in Newbury. I live in Totnes. Mm-hmm. I don't quite see how we're going to be able to do it no. with any regularity. But you never know. We might do some... Some sort of pop-up episodes. We'll both be at conference in March, so maybe we'll, oh, well do one from well,
0: there. Well, I'll be there as well, and so I hope so. I will absolutely uh, buy you uh, some crusty bread and a beer or something like that. Yeah, okay, uh, that would be great. And and you know, it's been like I say, it's been genuinely fantastic. Oh, our listeners, please do go check out our MEP Life. It, I've really, really enjoyed listening to it over the last few. Oh, months. let me just
1: tell you this. This is funny. We um, we sometimes got feedback from listeners. Um but <laughs> okay. anybody who's listening to podcasts, it's really nice to send a bit of feedback yes, because it's absolutely. great to, to know that people are listening and one day we got this message from someone who said oh I've just binge listened to nine episodes of your podcast back to back
0: we thought that was great it? yeah remarkable even though I said to
1: Judith it was probably he was probably up a ladder decorating and couldn't get down and, and <laughs> it just kept chaining one onto the other
0: really really grateful for your time uh, today Caroline you're very it's welcome been it's been a pleasure so do follow Caroline do subscribe to her podcast do uh, subscribe to our podcast uh, on Google Play Apple Podcasts, Spotify anywhere you get your podcast please do subscribe give us a rate do let us know what you think if you have any questions do let us know you can follow everything to do with the Lib Dem podcast at, at Lib Dem pod you can follow me on all social media at John Potter LD and just thank you very much, so so much for coming on, Caroline. Do have a wonderful weekend. Are you going to do anything? You. Are you going to do anything relaxing? I've got I've got an election kind of assessment weekend in the northwest, so it's got to be more relaxing than mine.
1: Well, I'm supposed to be at a six-hour uh, federal board conference oh. call all day tomorrow.
0: <laughs> well, on that, I will let you go and get your gin. What are you going to do tonight? <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, John. Nice to talk
1: to you.
0: A real pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Bye. Bye.